Well, with the Lord's help for a short time this evening, we turn to Ephesians chapter 6, the chapter that we read together. And uh, taking our text in verse 19 and 20, praying for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Especially the words that straddle the verses, to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds. Well, Ephesians chapter 6 is possibly one of the best-loved chapters of the New Testament, and best known, of course, for the earlier past passage and part of the chapter with the imagery of the Christian soldier and that uh, imagery has been a help for Bible believers for hundreds and hundreds of years and I'm sure many of us can remember on a Sunday afternoon being given a colouring sheet (coughs) and colouring in a picture of a soldier uh, with the shield of faith and with the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, all the great parts of his armour and particularly that sword in his hand. But the apostle, in giving us this, he then transitions away from the, the image of a soldier when he begins to speak about prayer. And so you have from verse 17 to 18 this transition away from the imagery of the soldier now to this. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bond and so on. One of the great responsibilities of the Christian soldier is to pray, to be in prayer, and especially be in prayer for the spread of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel, and the ambassadors of Christ as they declare that message around the world. And Paul is showing here his own personal dependence on the Lord to help him as he preaches. He is asking for their prayers for him, that the Lord would help him, that the Lord would give him that boldness and utterance and clarity of thought to make known the mysteries of the gospel, to give him that liberty and power and strength and persuasion that would give him success in the preaching of the gospel. That he might be able to <coughs> persuade by grace poor souls and sinners to put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ. And he longs to have success in making known the mystery of the gospel. Making known that which has been hidden. That which is not known any other way but by the revelation that God has given. 
There are things in the gospel that can only be known by it being revealed by God. And that is its distinction. And that is Paul's burden. And that is his task and message. As an ambassador for Christ, he has been sent out to declare what only Christ could have told him. What only the Saviour could make known. And what the world so desperately needs to hear. And so his commission is to bring the message of the gospel to sinners. And that is an embassy of peace. One of the commentators calls it that. A lovely phrase. It's an embassy of peace that Paul brings. A message and a mission of reconciliation. A laying down of arms. And in that way it is a perfect follow-on from the image of the Christian soldier who is set to for battle, having done all to stand there with his shield, there with his breastplate and his helmet. And yet now, the soul converted to Christ. Yes, they're at enmity with the world and with the flesh and with the devil. And the armor that he wears reflects something of this newfound enmity. No one of a, a worldly mindset has any need for armour in this world. They're at home. They're at peace. But not so the Christian. And so the Christian's shield quenches the fiery darts of the devil. And the Christian's breastplate of righteousness defends him against the accusations and sinuations and infiltrations of the world. And his helmet of salvation protects him from those inner thoughts and doubts that can be such a do such damage to the Christian if they take hold and cause his faith to tremble. And so his armour protects him from this new battle's fronts that he is faced with. Armour to protect us from all the enemies that we face in this world. But the Christian soldier has no fight with God anymore. And no armour that is given him is given to defend him against God. He has enlisted in the armies of Jesus and he has responded to the great embassies of peace in the gospel and he is at peace with God. And so Paul is an ambassador for Christ. At this time he is in bonds. He is a prisoner of Rome. But that doesn't stop him being an ambassador for Christ. He has come to bring this message of peace. That brings peace between the sinner and God. Through Jesus Christ. Though it will transfer the enmity and place it now between the sinner and the world, the flesh and the devil. And so he is sent to bring this message of peace to the lost souls. And only the embassies of Christ in his gospel have any right to bring this message of peace. Only the gospel can bring this message of peace. False religions have a false peace, which is no peace, because they cannot make peace with God, but not so the gospel. And so in his great, as an ambassador for Christ, <coughs> Paul is able to deliver a message of peace. 
But I want us this evening to consider what else might we hear in this world if we were to imagine other ambassadors sent to us from different places. What would they be able to tell us? Might we be able to find peace if we were looking somewhere else? Let's find out. Let's think, what can Moses say, first of all? John chapter 1, verse 17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Imagine, as it were, that the, the Moses, by which we mean the law of Moses, was able to send an ambassador to your soul tonight. Could that ambassador give you a message of peace? Well, friend, the ambassadors of Christ have a far greater message to carry than ever, than ever was the message even given through Moses, the man of God. Moses was given the law to deliver it from Mount Sinai. Moses could say, this is what God requires. This is what God demands. This is what you must do. This is the sacrifice that you must offer. This is how you must come to God. This is when you, mu when you must come to God. This is why you must come to God. And all these things are true and all these things are important. But they cannot bring you peace. You know from being in church offering off, how many times ministers can turn to the books of Moses and they will there preach the full gospel. You say, well, how come then Moses can't bring us peace? Because I've heard ministers preach from Exodus or from Levitic Leviticus, maybe about the Passover or about the Day of Atonement or about the high priesthood and have declared Jesus Christ in the gospel. <coughs> and that's true. In the books of Moses, there is a glorious foreshadowing of the gospel. But Moses himself, through these things, is not bringing peace. He is only foreshadowing it. Moses could never say, peace, peace, I bring peace. Moses rather was saying, blood, blood, I must have blood. There must be a sacrifice. There must be an offering. There must be a reconciliation made. And that is the lot of the soul who struggles under the weight of the law, as it were. The need to do. And it is never enough. And so all that was required in the law of Moses, of all the animals that were offered, it was never enough. Because it was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Oh no, the man who is under the law, the man who is waiting, listening to the voice of the law. The law is always saying to him, do this, do that, do more, do more. <coughs> and such a soul knows what it is like to forever fall short of these demands. Forever fail. And oh, if Paul was sent out as the ambassador of Moses, what a different message he would be bringing to our souls rather than the message of the peace of the gospel tonight. And so it is with the law today, friends. Sometimes sinners under the gospel turn to the law as a way out. They hear the need that the gospel declares. They know that in the gospel there is a 
conviction of sin because of the brokenness of the law. So they turn to the law to try and fix it. How many have, under the conviction of sin of the gospel, turned to the law? But you cannot find peace there. No, dear soul, there is no peace for you in the law of Moses tonight. Under his law, what will you find? You will find the will of God. You will find the demands of the holiness of God. You will find the reflection of the holy, righteous character of God. But you will not find peace for your soul there. Secondly, what can conscience say? And this follows on from what can Moses or the law say? What can conscience say? What if Paul was sent not as an ambassador of the law, but as a, as a, a voice to speak to you from your conscience? If your conscience was able to commission Paul and send him to address you, what would he say then? What if he gave voice not to the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus, but what if Paul gave voice to the guilt of your heart that lies heavy upon your conscience? What if he gave voice to the clamoring conscience of the soul? What then? Oh, what a fearful message that would be. To have that drummed into your ears, the message of a conscience disturbed by the law of God. Conscience, of course, doesn't have a very consistent message, does it? We've all known times when conscience has struck us and times when it should have, but it didn't. Sometimes our conscience can be asleep. Sometimes it's very drowsy and sometimes it's suppressed. Sometimes it can pass over fearful sins in our lives and other times trouble us greatly over things that are relatively trivial. <coughs> But then when conscience is roused over fearful sin. Well friends there is not a man alive who can live with conscience. When it begins to turn you over and over and over. It is one of the most awful experiences. Who can bear to live with the sound of the voice of conscience. Stirred against you. Conscience is the voice of your soul. And particularly that part of the soul that God has fashioned. God has made different parts of us. We are body and soul. So there's a spiritual part and a physical part. And in the spiritual part, there are different aspects to the soul. We call them the faculties of the soul, one of which is conscience. And God has made conscience to be that part of you that will either approve or accuse what you do, say, and think. Conscience is there to approve or to condemn. And conscience has no answer for the crimes that it condemns. None. It can condemn them. It cannot solve them. There's no remedy for the problems that it will highlight. It can only nag at you. It can only point out the flaws, the failures. Conscience, though it is part of the soul, 
has no answer but to destroy the soul. Who can abide the voice of conscience? When you've done something wrong, something you know is terrible, what can you do about it? Well, maybe you will try to suppress it and uh, pretend it is not so bad. Or else you may uh, try to make amends for it and to compensate for what you have done. Or else you may attempt to justify yourself uh, to your own conscience and to wrestle that conscience into submission. All these things a man may do with his conscience when disturbed. But what, dear friends of God, was to give a megaphone to that conscience of yours that you have so long stifled and so long suppressed? What if God were to send a whole army of apostles to declare loudly and publicly to everyone in this room, everyone whom you know, all that you have kept hidden and quiet in your conscience over the years. What if it was blazed across the world on the airwaves? What would conscience have to say? Oh, friend, do you see why conscience cannot give a man any more peace than the law of God can? We need to get beyond the voice of conscience. We need to get beyond even the law of God and even our heart itself. And we need to hear from God. Because God can do what our heart and conscience cannot. As he says in 1 John, if our heart condemn us, that's the voice of conscience there. God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. You know, there are many people in this world who live as if Conscience was their only and reliable guide. Guided by their own sense of right and wrong. Guided by their own appeal to duty and upbringing and decency. It's a delusion, friend. It's a delusion and a dangerous one. Because conscience, like every other faculty of the soul, is a fallen faculty. And it is a godless faculty. It is cut off from the light of God. And therefore in an unsaved soul it is no reliable guide. And there are many souls in hell tonight friends. Who went into death itself. With their eyes open. And their conscience clear. And now they're in hell. (coughs) they cannot listen to the voice of conscience let us consider creation what can (coughs) excuse me what can creation say if Paul had not been commissioned as an ambassador for Christ but as an ambassador of creation what if he was able to give voice to the message of the creation around us. What then would Paul have to tell us? Well he would be able in a measure to speak about the creator. Because the creation speaks about the creator. He would point to the heavens and say what is man? He would ask you to consider the stars and count them if you can. He would ask you to consider your own smallness in relation to the expanse of the heavens. And the galaxies and the solar systems that rise above us in night. (coughs) He would ask you to consider your own insignificance. 
in all the splendor of the universe. Your own dependence even upon for your bodily good. The sun that rises. The night that comes for your rest. The food that grows from the ground. The water that comes from the sky. You would call your own eyes to witness of the creator himself. In the rocks and in the trees. He would preach to you the evident... <coughs> excuse me, the evident power of God, the evidence for the existence of God that there is inherent in the creation, indeed the evidence not just for the existence, but the eternal existence of God. Even his eternal power and Godhead is seen in the creation. All this An ambassador from the creation might be able to say to us, but no more. He could say nothing more about the character of God, nothing of the goodness of God, nothing of the love of God. He could speak not one word of the holiness of God and of the mercy of God. He could speak not of any of the actions of God that have been flowing out of his love to sinners, not of the election of a poor people to life. Not of the sending of his son to Calvary. Not of the death of Christ. Not of the resurrection. None of these things. We love to hear arguments put forward. (coughs) Demonstrating the falsehood of evolution. And the big bang theory. And the millions and the billions of years. We love to see that comprehensive putting down and the putting away of these denials of God that come with such worldly views. And we love to have ample evidence set before us why we should believe in a literal six-day creation of heaven and earth. These things are brought out wonderfully by groups like Answers in Genesis and Creation Ministries. And these are wonderful things. But forgiveness cannot be found in the rocks, even if you believe them to be made by the Creator. God's law cannot be kept by the simple acknowledgement that there is a Creator God in heaven. And a man's conscience cannot be washed clean by any argument that disproves evolution. Oh, an ambassador from creation would be able to bring no good news from heaven for your soul. Well, let us turn then to think, if we think about creation, we must think about providence. What can providence say? Fourthly, what can providence say? Here's another messenger for us to consider. One not lightly to be set aside by any means. Let us now meet with this very dignified ambassador, the ambassador of providence. And on to the stage he comes. Providence, what is it? It is that outworking In our little lives, of all things according to the decree of God. Sometimes it is called his hidden will, his secret will. The things that God purposed and planned. These things outworking in time in the lives of his creatures. That is the providence of God unfolding. And then there's a sense that everything that is happening to you and to me is happening for a reason. 
the good things and the bad things, the joyful things and the things that make us to weep, all are unfolding along the lines of providence, foreordained by God, exactly the way God has purposed for it to be. And so we can never escape our providence in this life. We can never alter the portion that God is setting before us. And the book of Providence then is one that must be being read all the days of our life. Little by little it is read. Just word at a time because we just move forward in moments and breaths. And these moments and breaths are the, are the punctuation marks and the letters of the words that make up our own providence. But as you look round, even here tonight, amongst this gathering in this church, there are those here tonight who have a very sweet providence, who have much to bless God for. And there are those who seem to carry a burden that would almost crush them down through the ground. What makes one to differ from the other? What message can you derive as to the goodness of God and the mercy of God to one sinner or the other from providence? Providence makes her declarations to differ not just from one soul to the other, but sometimes at different times to the same soul. You will often find that one person, and you have known it in your life, you have gone from a good providence to a bad providence, an easy providence to a hard providence. All was going well in your life. All was plain sailing. And another time you had to say along with aged Jacob. All these things are against me. But you know providence will unfold its own way in your life. Whether it be good or bad. But it will say nothing at all about the status of your soul. Not one thing. Providence will keep her mouth shut about the state of your soul. Even in its best of times, even in its kindest overtures towards you, when you seem to be walking on air, it is simply not commissioned. It is not qualified to make known to you anything about your heart, anything about its sin anything about forgiveness and mercy and hope, anything about the final destination of that soul, whether it is heaven or hell. There are many friends who have entered into hell through a life of fair sunshine, through a life of easy providence and happiness. Wasn't it the rich man who ended up in hell? Fair providence he had. Dining on finest things every day at his table. Others have exchanged only the miseries of this life for even greater miseries in the next. It is not always so that the Lazarus begging under the rich man's table goes to Abraham's bosom. What can providence tell you about the things that really matter? Sweet providence and sweet peace with God. They are two entirely unconnected matters. There are many believers who have enjoyed the sweetest fellowship with God 
whilst the flames of their martyrdom licked at their bodies. What can providence tell you about your soul and its place with God? Providence, the book that tells you really nothing at all about a soul. Even when the book is finished. Some books like that, aren't they? They're called thrillers. They keep you guessing right up to the end. And the best ones keep you going at the last page. The last paragraph even. Providence has the best of them beat for surprise. Because you can read the life of a, whole, of a sinner. Through all their three score and ten or more years. And you can even know and read all the autobiography and biographies ever written about some of these, the best of men. And nothing in the providence that they've experienced will tell you what is the state of their soul. And even when a man or woman's life is over, you can go and read their providence at the end. And you can come away still unsure. Is that a soul now languishing in hell? Or is that a soul now liberated in heaven? Paul is not the ambassador of providence. Fifthly, what can Satan say? Oh, he wouldn't say it like this, but... Paul is no messenger of Satan. But were Satan to send an ambassador, what would he have us hear? Satan is well able to speak for himself, but if he were to commission a message for you tonight, just for you tonight, what would Satan say? It might be any number of things. It would be different from me to you to the next person. But what would Satan say? He would say a lie. A lie. It would certainly be a lie. He would tell those who are beginning to be anxious about their souls. You're anxious over nothing. It would be a lie. He would tell those who are sleepy. You have plenty of time. It would be a lie. He would tell those who are ignorant. You're wise to leave these things well alone. It would be a lie. He would tell those who are under conviction of sin. You must already be converted. It would be a lie. It will always be a lie. Because he's the father of lies. (coughs) He would tell those who are fearful. That they're beyond hope. And it would be a lie. He would tell the believer. You're deceiving yourself. And you're hell bound. And it would be a lie. He will always lie. It is his nature to lie. But there is a common theme. To his words. There's an underlying code. That if you can decipher the code. You will find it is there in every single message he sends to every single soul. Do you know what it is? Damn them. Damn that soul to hell. 
That is the message of Satan. Bring them into a lost eternity. Let them have no mercy. Let them have no Christ. Let them have no joy. Let them have no life. Get them to hell. Drag them to hell. Grab them for the grave. Keep them from grace. Blind their eyes. Dull their ears. Muffle their conscience. That is the message of Satan to the lost soul and to every soul. But it's not the message of the gospel. It's not the message of the ambassadors of Christ. It's not the making known of the mystery of the gospel. What then is the gospel? We come lastly, sixthly, finally. What can the gospel say? Here we are at last then to the words of the gospel as Paul explains them in our text. What is Paul given to speak to souls? What is his message? He is not inventing it. He is not originating it. He is not changing it depending on who he is speaking to. He is an ambassador. He is sent with it. He is commissioned with it. He carries it. He is given to speak of the mystery of the gospel, he says. <coughs> I that I might make known the mystery of the gospel. Why is it a mystery? Well, it's a mystery, friends, because the law of Moses can't tell it. And conscience can't tell it. And providence can't tell it. And creation can't tell it. And Satan can't tell it. They don't know it. It's a mystery to them entirely. But the gospel can be made known by the ambassadors of Christ. They can tell the mystery now. The depths of the good news of Jesus. Paul is sent out to declare the true, deep, good news of God. What is he saying? I am here to declare to you that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ. That is the good news. That's the mystery. That's the marvel of this message. Hope for the lost. Peace for the guilty. Rescue for the condemned. Oh, the love of God for the unlovely. Joy for the doomed. And life for the dead. Peace. Oh, there is no peace to be found in this world like the peace of the gospel. There is no messenger who can be sent to your soul who can declare peace from God to you except the ambassadors of Christ. They and they alone have this message to declare. And oh, it is a good message. Only the gospel can give such a message. Only the messengers of Jesus are ambassadors of peace and truth and grace and hope. Oh, what mercy there is in this message. Only those sent by Jesus have this commission to declare that there is amazing grace for the sinner. 
No, friends, here tonight. What of you? And what of your soul? You've lived, many of you, a long time in this world. Has anyone ever been able to give you peace? Has anyone ever been able to wash clean your heart of conscience? Has anyone ever been able to give you life that shall never end? Have you managed it yourself? What does your conscience say? What does God's law say? What does providence say? What do any of these things, what can they tell you? The gospel is the only way to hear about the peace that there is for your soul with God. The only way. But it's the only way you need. You only need one way. To be brought to peace with God. You don't need two ways or ten ways. To get peace with God. You just need one. One peace with God. And here it is. There's peace with God in Jesus. Jesus says come unto me. And I will give you rest. He speaks the truth. He means what he says. And his offer is open to you tonight. Come to him and he will give you that rest and give you that peace that can only be found in the gospel. May he bless this word to you. Let us pray.